It's good to see you all today. We're going to continue in this series of unpacking. And uh, we're going to start with a little bit about John the Baptist. And I want you to kind of imagine this scene. So this is when John the Baptist is in prison. Okay? I do love that the gospel accounts are in the real world, right? Like we have a, we serve a Jesus who lived in real space, in a real place, came as Emmanuel with us in this, this place. And so we have John the Baptist in prison. And he's in prison, just as a reminder, because he challenged Herod. He challenged the ruler. Uh, he challenged the ruler on the ruler's morality. So Herod had his brother killed because he wanted his brother's wife. And uh, read through Mark 6 if you want kind of the full context of it. It's, it's dark, it's tough. But ultimately, John the Baptist is being a prophetic voice, right? John the Baptist is saying, hey, this is not the way that we live. We don't kill our brothers and steal their wives. That's like page one. That's, that's not even a tricky situation. And, and because Herod's wife didn't like him, he's in, in prison. And from prison, we hear this in, in Matthew 11, verse 2. When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his own disciples and said to Jesus, Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? So John the Baptist is doing God's work, right? Has been. Has been showing that there's someone who's coming behind saying that it's time to repent, to expect the kingdom of God, looking at the authorities and saying that's not the way that we live, that's not the way that we operate, this violence, this stealing, this, this isn't it. And John knows of, and I think it's important that we see that Matthew writes the Messiah, the, the Christ. He, he knows of the Messiah and asks, are, are you the one who's to come? Are we to wait for another? Now, the other thing that's kind of wild about this is their family, right? Like, this is cousins. So it's not like some person in a distant land that he's sending, like, a, a letter to and saying, hey, I, I heard your reputation. This is like, hey, like, we, we've done the holidays together. We know each other. Are you really the one? I don't think it was a mean question. I don't think it came from a bad place. He came from a place where John the Baptist is trying to live his life for God and is in prison and sees no way out. Are you the one or is there another? Now at the time of, of Jesus, there was a lot of questions about the Messiah. There were people who thought that maybe the Messiah wasn't going to be a person. Maybe we are going to have a messianic age and just this spirit of the Messiah is going to come. There were other people who thought that there was going to be three Messiahs. You might know from the Old Testament that there's the role of prophet, the role of priest, the role of king. So some people were like, maybe we'll have three of them. 
Someone who's going to reform what we would call the church as, as a priest. Someone who's going to speak to power and really call out systemic issues like a prophet. Someone who's going to come and rule like the king. Maybe we'll have three different messiahs. There were others who thought, we're just not going to have one. There's just not a messiah. You see, there were people who thought that we just heard wrong. Or we had read wrong. Or we were told wrong. And this, this hope, this messianic hope, just kind of dwindled away. And the thought was this, I don't know, it just doesn't seem right. And in the middle of all of that, we have this question of John the Baptist that isn't just of John the Baptist. Are, are you the one? Or are we to wait for another? See, this giving up on the idea of a Messiah who's going to set the world right is something that I hear pastorally a lot. Today, not 2,000 years ago. And these ideas of maybe I heard wrong, or I read wrong, or I was told wrong, I probably hear more now than in the 20-some years that I've been a pastor. I thought it was going to look like this, and uh, here we are. And more and more, I see that people are, are losing hope about a Messiah. And looking at like, well, Jesus was a good teacher. Let's let him be a teacher then. Jesus said some wise things and loved people well. Let's, let's love like he loved then. Let's be inspired by that alone and just kind of because we don't know what to do with the fact that Jesus was the Christ, then we just, I don't know. We can at least love well. I, I've t talked to you guys before about this musical that I really like, Hades Town, where the whole idea is this this group of people who are like, let's kind of, the world's falling apart, but let's, well, we can, let's, let's live well. And know that in the end, it's kind of a sad story. For some reason, I, I don't know, I'm a gloomy person at heart, I guess. <laughs> some reason I love the story, but it's this like, hey, we're not going to win, but at least let's try. And more and more, I find us living like that now. If you come to the Gospel of John, though, John, we know this, but like, do you remember that John tells us exactly why he wrote his Gospel? That's exactly why in John 20. It says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these specific ones in the Gospel of John are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that through believing, you may have life in his name. He's writing this at a time where people are losing the belief that there will be a Messiah, that there will be a Christ, or that they've heard it wrong all this time. And he's like, hey, hey. And he's writing probably about 100 or 70 years after the account. I'm sorry, 70 years after, about 100 CE in time. Um, He's writing, I, I don't want you to lose hope. I'm writing this so that you know that Christ is the Messiah. In the midst of all of this doubt. So back to the question. John the Baptist sends his disciples to Jesus and says, 
Are you the one who's to come, or are we to wait for another? And Jesus answers, go and tell John what you hear, what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them, and blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. I mean, this is powerful, right? Like, you read that, the blind see, the dead raised, all of this, and then John is in prison. And he's like, yes, the blind see, but there are still blind people. And the day that a, someone who was lame walks, someone else is hit by an injury and becomes lame. And the people who rise from the dead die again. I mean, outside of Jesus, like, Lazarus was like, hey, awesome, wait, I'm still old, Right? Like, that happens. And John hears this and is stirred up and encouraged because it's messianic language, but it's not what John thought because John is still in jail and ultimately dies in jail. You see, at the time of Jesus, for those who believed that there would be a Messiah, they were sure that that meant that Israel was to be free, no Rome. Rome goes away, we get to self-govern. We're going to have a morality that's in line with the Torah. We're going to prosper because that's what God does for God's people. And Jesus threatened all of this. Because Jesus looked at the religious just like he looked at the Romans. And for this, the the leadership couldn't handle it, right? I mean, we love to villainize the, the leaders who killed Jesus because after all, they killed Jesus. Like, that's a big deal. But they were so vested in something that when Jesus came, they were like, no way could Jesus really be that. And he's trying to take down everything that we've tried to build. And the powers were so offended that they they killed him. But instead of just separating ourselves from that, a, a good question for us is what do you expect? When you learned that Jesus was the Christ, what did you expect? What do you experience? Why do we live as we do? How do we see ourselves? How do we see ourselves as a nation? Our role in in everything that's going on everywhere? How, How are we understanding this? What are we entitled to if we call God good? Because as we flush this out, this is what the gospel is. This is the Christ who died, was buried, who rose and was witnessed. But like at the time of Jesus, that's not quite what we thought. Right? And that's where so many people in in our climate, in our day, are just then distancing from the church, distancing from Jesus, distancing from each other it's like maybe this isn't just isn't true and I'll tell you from my spot which is only my spot I found it to be completely true that Jesus is the Christ and it looks nothing like what I thought so I remember in middle school I came to faith and it it was kind of one of those night and day things One day I really wasn't a Christian, and then next day I really was. And about a week later, I was telling everybody, I'm going to be a pastor. And I was that kid in middle school and high school. 
who made every decision. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm going to be a pastor. And this is what I think pastors do. And it was skewed. I'm in a, a class right now. One of my classmates is in her first job within a church. And she's leading the youth ministry. It just came out that the previous youth pastor had sexually assaulted several girls in the youth ministry. And the church decided to cover it up and question the girls. And here's this young girl. And it doesn't, it's not what she thought. The church isn't what she thought. And for her young girls that she loved, it's not what they thought. And they're running because there's no way that Jesus is who they thought. We've got a ton of that. We don't have a ton of spaces to talk about it, right? But we need to, and we need to be honest. That oftentimes what we are, think and what we're told is like, if you live well enough, you'll go to heaven. And that's kind of it. That's not satisfying as you grow up. I, I need more. I need Jesus to care about things. I need Jesus to be invested in things and in people. I need him to care about Ukraine, but I also need him to care about, like, Minneapolis and the, this George Floyd case that just came again. And it's never satisfying because a criminal case or a civil case, it can't bring George Floyd back. So it's not really, it's, it's something, but it's not quite satisfying. I hear your stories and the stuff you're struggling with, the stuff I'm struggling with. And I'm like, Jesus, I, this question of John the Baptist makes sense. Are you the one who's to come? Or are we to wait for another? I'm not trying to just kick up more questions, but I'm kind of trying to kick up more questions because I think they're honest. And here's what I'm beginning to really see that Jesus did. He didn't make those who believe in him heroes and everyone else villains. He didn't make those who believed in him out to be the good guys and everyone else the enemy. And he didn't promise the United States that we were going to be victorious and we were the best. That's just, that's not in here. What he did was something that we didn't know we were looking for. He took away my ability and my excuse to be his enemy. My sins were kept me from. My living like something else was the most important. My detaching from him and attaching to anything else, like we see in the garden and then replayed over and over and over again, right? And he took that excuse away. In fact, he took the ability away. I can't hide from him. That's what Jesus did. That's who Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ is. Doesn't mean he's not just. It doesn't mean he's not holy. He is all those things. And at the same time, I cannot hide. Where does that come from? The, we love Psalm 139, right? What's Psalm 139 all about? Where do I go to hide from your presence? If we let it be what it is, it even says, what, if I go to the depths of Hades, can I get away from you? No, I can't. I can't get away. Jesus is there with you, calling you to be a part of 
who he is, calling you to be a part of setting up this shalom, this peace, this grace, this love. Is he heartbroken about my friend's church? Absolutely. Is he just and will he act justly? Absolutely. Do I know what that looks like? Unfortunately not. I wish it looked like an angry dad who just came in and like, or like Samson. I wish it looked like Samson and he just came in swinging. Thankfully, God doesn't do what I wish. And I hate that people hurt in the meantime. But it doesn't mean that Jesus is less. In fact, I think it might mean that Jesus is more. There's a whole bunch of stuff we need to learn to stop believing so that we can believe that you are attached to Christ. That he is the vine and that you are the branch. That if you want your life to be fruitful with joy and love and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control, then that means you stay attached to the vine. That means that we prune away other things, not just because they're morally bad, but because they suck away our attachment. They're like cheap calories. They don't work. Why would we do something that doesn't work? Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. We're going to talk for the next couple weeks about how he talked of the kingdom and what this invitation is for us. But I just want us to know like, that he is exactly who he always said he was. He is exactly who scripture said he was. It just doesn't look how we thought. And if it doesn't look how you thought then you're in a long line of sisters and brothers that Jesus has deeply loved and invited into a deeper understanding of who Jesus is. Because here's what's really behind my questions and a question that I have for you. Because when I start to ask all these things, what are you doing about that church? What are you doing about... Ukraine, what are you doing about all this kind of stuff? You know, I find out it's really beneath it. A lot of times I miss Jesus. I miss when I was in middle school. Not the misbeliefs and all that kind of stuff, but I miss like it was kind of easier. And when I got all these deeper questions, I started to like distance. I want to invite you to remember. Yeah, we've got to deconstruct some stuff, but Jesus is always Jesus. And we can let go of those things and hold on to Christ. In fact, that's kind of the point. We can let go of those things and rediscover who the Messiah is. We can let the Holy Spirit live within us and then kind of detangle all the things that don't belong kind of what the Holy Spirit's good at. And if you're like me, you don't have to live in this space where you're kind of distant from where you were, but feel distant from Jesus. You don't have to be there. You can be in a space where Jesus is maybe more close than he's ever been. 
and you've got questions. There's room for both when John the Baptist asked Jesus through the disciples, through John's disciples. Jesus didn't say, don't you dare question me. He answered. What do you see? What do you hear? So church, what question do we have? And then, what do we see and what do we hear? Let me give you a verse that I've been hearing this week. It's out of the letter to the Ephesians. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints, all those before us, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of that Christ we speak of that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. We receive communion together. If you want to raise your hand if you need a communion cup. Mr. Wayne's going to bring us some. As we do this, I mean, let's think of it. The Christ is the one who is on the cross. Go ahead and raise your hand if you don't have a cup and would like one. Mr. Wayne, that includes me, I forgot. This is the Christ on the cross. That before he went there, and he went there because people misunderstood him, they didn't like what he did, they didn't like what he said, they didn't like that he challenged them instead of challenging the people he thought he should challenge, all of these reasons. He spoke of a kingdom that people didn't know they wanted. But knowing what was coming, Jesus looked at those that he loved dearly. He said, you're going to meet. He didn't say this, but I think he inferred. You're going to have questions about what's happening. You're going to be led into spaces. It's not going to look how you thought. You're going to spend a lot of your life thinking I'm coming in your lifetime and I'm waiting longer. All of this is maybe... Not what you were thinking, but when you gather, I don't want you to forget. My body was broken for you. So every time you get together, remember that so you don't ever have to feel detached because of your sin, because of what you've done, because of your questions, any of that. I want you to remember to take and eat. To the same people who took the cup. He raised it. He said, every time you gather, I want you to remember that this is my blood shed out. For you. Remember who I am. Remember who you are. Remember what we're about.